Uh, I have the opportunity to bring the word to you this morning, and the title of my message as we move along here is Move Your Feet, Lose Your Seat. How many of you had assigned seating growing up while you were in school? Assigned seating. It could have been by alphabetical order. It could have been uh, from like shortest to tallest or tallest to shortest, or um, it could have been a number of things, but assigned seating. How many of you had assigned seating going into middle school, beyond grade school, assigned seating in middle school? How about high school? Did anybody have assigned seating in college? No, I remember... uh, I was at BC3 and our our health teacher, she would say, there's no assigned seating, uh, but this is the first day of class and 90% of you are going to sit in that same seat the whole for the rest of the semester. And every once in a while, she would take desk out of the room. So then it would be, it would be messed up and people would be wondering where their seat is at. I remember through grade school, through high school, we had assigned seating, and I can remember sitting or standing or being next to the same people all the time. Does anybody remember that? Our assigned seating was based on our last name. My last name is White, W-H-I-T-E. So we went by the letter W, and I was around the same people all the time, the same four people I'm not even going to look at my notes. I can tell you exactly who they were. Chris White, Whitney White, no relation, Christina Yanichko, and Josh Wise. The same people all the time. We would sit next to each other. They never really moved away or, you know, new people never really came in towards the lower part of the alphabet in our school. So I was next to these people all the time through grade school, first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade same people. Once we got to seventh and eighth grade uh, in high school, we had this thing called homeroom. Does anybody have homeroom? Okay. Homeroom was just a little room that you went to for the first few days of school uh, during maybe standardized testing and uh, during like the last day of school, whenever there was a big important announcement or anything like that, we went to homeroom. So the only place I had assigned seating was in homeroom because it had to be alphabetical according to the school. So once I got to middle school and high school, I was free from being next to the same people all the time, except our lockers were still in alphabetical order. So I had to be around those four people all the time in the hallways. So what's the point of assigned seating? Well, let's take a look at those two words. Let's look at the first word, assigned. According to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, assigned means to appoint a post or duty. So you put someone in an area, in a post, uh, it becomes your job. Maybe in work, you are assigned something. You are assigned a position. Uh, You are assigned an area of work, an area in the office, an area in the building. You are assigned people to work under you, to work with you. So that is what we are talking about whenever we talk about assign. Now let's take a look at the word seat. It's a difficult morning, people. We are going through some tough words here. There are multiple meanings for the word seat, but we are going to talk about, once again, from Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the particular part of something in which one rests or sits, a chair, stool, 
or bench intended to be sat in or on. Make sense? So as we continue our English lesson here this morning, we have now figured out and determined that the definition of the two words assigned seating are a chair, stool, or bench intended to be sat in or on that was appointed as a post for any individual. How many of you would agree that is a good definition of assigned seating? Now, I know some of you are sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, when is Pastor Dan coming back? Because now we're down to the kid's pastor and he is in big church and he thinks he is in kid's church because he's talking to us as adults who pay mortgages and taxes and everything like that about assigned seating. You got me. Because whenever I was 14 years old, I sat in this second row whenever I was in youth group. And in the middle of service one time, I jumped over the back of the pew into the next row. And all of you glared at me. And I thought to myself, one day I'm going to be a pastor and I'm going to come and preach a message and I'm going to take away your assigned seating, which is what I did with the caution tape this morning. I took it away. The first part of that story is true. And it just goes to show you that anyone can truly be saved and God can truly forgive anybody because I jumped the pews in the middle of church and now I'm up here preaching a message and I'm a pastor of this church. Move your feet, lose your seat. This morning is a challenge for me to you. It is a box that I wish to be on the outside of and looking in. This morning, I want to talk about are we as welcoming as Jesus? That's a tough and loaded question. Is welcoming as Jesus? How can we be as welcoming as Jesus? Let's take a look. Jesus, he healed people. He saved the lost. He brought people back from the dead. He wasn't afraid to talk to anybody. He wasn't afraid to meet up with anybody. He wasn't afraid to have people come to him. He performed miracles. He did all these things. So how can we be welcoming as Jesus? And I think once we think about it for just a couple minutes this morning, it's not as, e it's not as hard as you may think it is. As we continue, I want to paint a picture this morning and I want us to imagine that next Sunday, seven days from now, there are going to be over 300 first-time visitors in this church. 300, okay? So we're painting this picture this morning. 300 visitors in the church. That means whenever you walk into the lobby, there'll be people everywhere. You'll be bumping into people that you don't know. You'll be trying to make your way through the crowd and there's people in your way. During worship, the, the room will be full of sounds, of voices, of prayer, the room will be full. Some of you are sitting there sweating, thinking, Pastor Joe, if that truly happens, I'm going to find a smaller church because I don't want to be around 300 new people. So we have that picture in our mind. So next Sunday, 
there will be roughly an estimated of 500 people in this building total. In this room, 500 people. Move your feet, lose your seat. So how do we become welcoming like Jesus? First, we must not judge people by their past. How many of you have a past? Like, we're talking about like a, not like a past, like a past. Like you got a, you got some things going on that you had going on in your life. A past, a testimony. Something that we as Christians can relate to with other Christians because we all come from one place. We all come from sin. We're all born into sin, but then we become saved. Our blinders are taken off. We see the truth. We see the love of Jesus. And it's easy to relate someone who has a past of never ending sin, but then they are finally saved. We as Christians, that is something we can all relate to. If we don't relate to anything else, if you can't relate to anybody else in this room, I guarantee you that you can relate to somebody who has a past because we've all been there. Isaiah 43, 18 through 19, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do not, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Isn't that such a beautiful thing written for us? We are not to dwell in our past, but see the new things God has done in our lives. And even in the Bible, it predicts that we are going to doubt those things. It literally says, see, I am doing a new thing. Hello. Do you not see it? Can you not see the great and the powerful and the mighty things that God is doing in your life? And then in the last part of the verse, I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Streams in the wasteland. Okay. God is talking about making nothing into something literally streams in the wasteland, go to the desert and tell somebody there's going to be a stream here in the next 24 hours. Like the the, the, the desert, all sand, nothing else, sand. That's the wasteland. That's the wasteland that is in within our lives. And we're talking about streams. God is doing a new and great and powerful thing. And he can make something out of nothing. So we still have that picture in our mind, right? Next week, 300 plus new people. They're flowing in and out of the sanctuary. The parking lot is full. Now let's add something to that image. Let's imagine that everyone next Sunday that comes into this church is wearing a lanyard with a name tag that displays their sins. Oh man. (laughs) Okay. Everybody, us included, everybody. So all these 300 new people that we have coming in here, they've all got a lanyard with like a three by five card that says they're a liar. That says they're a thief. That says they struggle with these issues or that we struggle with these things. We have committed these sins. We have done this to another person. Okay. We're all wearing these lanyards. Now, if you're sitting there this morning, can you still think 
I can be as welcoming as Jesus. Can, can you? Can you be as welcoming as Jesus, knowing that everybody is going to be here next week with a lanyard, us included, that displays everybody's problems? Can you still walk up to that same person that maybe says, you know, what, you know, whatever, I lied or I struggle with porn addiction or I struggled with, uh, you know, drugs. Can you still walk up to those people and can you still be as welcome as Jesus? Can you still say, Hey, you know, welcome to Evangel Heights Church. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here with us. Why don't you come on, find a seat, come next to me. You can sit with me through the whole service. You know, we love for you to be here. Can we still do it? Would you be able to worship in this room without looking at what the people with their lanyards are doing? Are they worshiping? You know, because on their lanyard, it says they did this. So they should really be at the altar this morning. You know, can we do that without passing judgment? Can we do that without judging their past? Can we be welcoming without judging someone's past? This morning is a challenge. Move your feet, lose your seat. The second way we can become as welcoming as Jesus is we must not be satisfied with the current status. Now hear me out. I am a firm believer that we should not judge church based on the numbers that are in the pews. But I think we should judge the health of a church based on the number of salvations they have and the number of people that are involved in the church outside of Sunday mornings. So we can have a church that can fit, I don't know, let's say 1300 people in it. So we have a church that fits 1300 people in it and we have services three times a week. So Saturday, two on Sunday, but no one is getting saved and only about a hundred people help or involved outside of Sunday mornings. Do you, is, are, we, are we agreeing that that is probably not super healthy? But be, just because I believe that does not mean that we should be satisfied with how many people are or are not sitting in the seats. Because we should always, as believers, be going out to our friends, going out to our families, going out to our coworkers, going out to the community, whether it's by yourself, whether it's by ministries put on by the church, going out and bringing people back in to sit next to us. We must not be satisfied with the current status. We must go out into the world. We must go out into the Jerusalems and the Judeas and to the ends of the earth to bring people back to church. Why? Because that is what we are called to do. That is the great commission. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's literally what the Bible commands us to do. Every, every church, that's what you should be doing. Going out and bringing people back in. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We should not be satisfied, but we should always wanting to grow. We should always want to see this place full of people. 
And we should always want to do more surrounding the community. And we should always want to see people saved. Galatians spells it out for us. Do not do, do not grow weary of doing good. Do not become bored with what we are doing. How many of you can agree that in the past and in the future, this church has generally done good things? Okay, we're talking about ministries. We're talking about events. We're talking about outreaches. We're talking about worship on Sundays. We're talking about everything. This church generally has done good things. You know, we just had an awesome Easter egg hunt two weeks ago. And next weekend, the Pendel Youth Network is using our building in exactly six days from now to host an event to reach young people. There'll be several hundred young people in this building. Uh, There's three weekends that they did this event and they want to use our building to host one of the weekends. We had a good Friday service that was posted online. And on YouTube, it has 1,300 views. 1,300. I'm a communications guy. It's one of my passions, communications. And for a church this size to have a, have a video that has 1,300 views is outstanding. So that means that if we had our Good Friday service in person and those views turned into people, there would have been 1,300 hundred people in this room. This room doesn't even hold 1300 people. It holds about a thousand. All based off of one video that we did. And I'm not knocking the past. I believe in the past, but church, we've never even had one Easter play drama have 1300 people in this room. And this was a good Friday. How many of the saints have been to a service on good Friday with 1300 people in it? Unless you've been to a mega church people, we are doing great and powerful things. And we always have, and I believe we always will, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to be honest. I I, I, I want it to be more. Me, personally, in my spirit, I want to do more. I want to see more. I want us to be more. And it takes all of us to do it. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the people on staff. Our Easter egg hunt, we had around, you know, a little over 225 people. We gave away like 5,000 eggs. We gave away gift cards to people. I was emailing people gift cards that they wanted in a drawing. Well, guess what? I had 40 plus people help me throughout, you know, Friday and Saturday, and I wouldn't have been able to do it without you people. So it's not just, it's not just the pastors. It's us as a church. We should not be satisfied with the current status. We should not grow weary of doing good not get stuck in a rut and just say, yeah, we're doing good. We're doing these things. You know, we see these people here. We see these people here. We see this here, but we should always want to do more. Always, always want to do more. Always want to see more, more salvations. Always want to see more people getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. Always want to see more people at the altars. 
third way we can be as welcoming as Jesus is we have to be prepared to be welcoming. How many of you have ever gone into a situation unprepared? Zero preparation. Better question is how many of you actually enjoy that? I'll put my hand about halfway here because I love living in situations of doing things live. Just right on the spot. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's take this, this, this message. For example, I spent about roughly four hours this past week gathering my thoughts on what I wanted to talk about. Do you think I would have been able to just, you know, come here, not have anything, not having notes, not have anything written down and all that stuff and not be up here, you know, sweating or, or, or going from this to there and just be all disorganized and unprepared. The same goes for the church. In the book Fusion, which is about church assimilation, the book talks about how we as a church, the church in general, can take first-time guests and help them to become members, help them to become regular attenders, help them to become uh, back involved within the church. It's about church assimilation. My favorite quote from that book is, God will not send people to us if we are not prepared to receive them. Why would God send us people if we don't know what to do with them? If we don't have discipleship in place, if we don't have a way to meet their needs, if we don't have ways to pray with them and help them through life or help them with their struggles, why would he send them to a church that isn't prepared to help them? That's, that's probably one of my all-time favorite quotes that I've, I've ever come across. He would not send us people if we're not prepared to help people grow in their faith. Luke 14, 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? If you do a building project in your own home, do you just walk into Walmart one day and the first person you see is the greeter and you say, hey, I want to add a 500 square foot uh, you know, addition to my house. Can you do it? And the person says, yeah, sure, I'll do it. They don't know what they're doing. No, you, you take the time. You get quotes for things. You go to multiple people you know, and you say, hey, I want to do this or or we want to achieve this. How much does it cost? And you get all these quotes and you add them up and you, you either pay in cash for them or you maybe you, you, uh, you finance them as long as it fits within your monthly budget. And you, you plan it out because you don't want to overpay. You don't want to be cut short at the end of the month because you're paying too much on something else now. You have to prepare for these things. And the same goes for other projects in life at work. You have to be prepared to give a presentation, to write the annual report, to, you know, help your colleagues whenever they need it. You have to be prepared to go on vacation, especially if you have toddlers because they need literally everything. (laughs) 
<laughs> like everything. They need all their clothes, all their toys. I can't, I can't just load my kids up into the car and say, I'm going to be gone for two days without bringing, without preparing. Cause I would just lose it because they would be asking me for everything that they wanted. The foundation of Royal Rangers, which is a mentoring program for boys developed by the Assemblies of God, your welcome dad, is literally to be ready. Ready for what? Ready for anything. Ready to work, play, serve, obey, worship, live, etc. Anything. You are to be ready for anything. As a church, we must be prepared to welcome people in from the top to the bottom, left to right. Welcome them in and help them become full disciples of Jesus. There's another story in the book Fusion, and it pertains to the caution tape that I have set up here this morning. How many of you felt a little bit uncomfortable this morning because somebody else was in your seat? Anybody? So I put caution tape up on Wednesday night or Wednesday during the day, knowing that our prayer group would be in here Wednesday. And guess what? On Thursday morning at Forever Young, they were asking me questions of why the caution tape was in the building. Somebody said, was there a crime scene? Or is the roof leaking again? The answer is no to one or both of those questions. And it's not the roof. In the book Fusion, the author is talking about churches should escort visitors to the sanctuary and let them sit wherever they feel comfortable. If you invite someone into your home, you tell them they can sit wherever they feel comfortable, wherever they want, which is how the book describes how churches should be acting towards first-time guests. Shortly after... Or in the, in, the, in the book, there's a story of this lady who came to church. She got connected with the service host of that church and the service host escorted her and walked her to the sanctuary and said, hey, where do you want to sit? And she chose, you know, she chose a seat and she sat down. Shortly after, a regular attender walked into the same church on the same day and went to their seat where this first time visitor was sitting which her interaction so far had just been the people at the door and the service host. Now her third interaction, which is probably one of the most important interactions someone can have sitting in the church for first time was with a regular attender or a member. And in this book, which is a true story, the person said, can you please get out of my seat? Mm. They wanted them to get out of their seat. Move your feet Lose your seat. If you felt uncomfortable this morning or maybe you couldn't get into worship because your routine was thrown off or you didn't have your seat neighbors around you, you had to talk to new people or or be around new people because your regular seat neighbors weren't there or you wanted church to be over quickly because it was uncomfortable. Church, now we know how first time visitors feel whenever they're scared to go to church. Now we know how they feel whenever they're afraid to be judged 
because they think they have that lanyard on and we're going to sit there and know everything about them. Now we know how the people feel that messed up that week and then go to church and sometimes, you know, they're in somebody else's seat and all they want to do is, is, is be in the presence of God and they feel disrupted because, you know, you're in their, they're in your seat. God will not send us the broken if we are not ready, prepared, or willing to accept them. And I don't mean that from a pastoral administrative level because that's a whole different world of stats, volunteer training, communication, paid job roles, etc. The list can go on with that. But I mean from a heart perspective, from our heart perspective. If somebody was in your seat, would your heart begin to be hardened because you are sitting there or you're standing there and you're going, I can't do church this morning because that is where I've sat for the past 20 years. You cannot let your heart be hardened or else those people will not feel welcomed. Our hearts have to be willing to accept new people. Okay. Whenever uh, I've been in this church for a little over 25 years and this September I'll be on staff for 10 years. And whenever I was a kid, I sat in this row. And whenever I was in youth group, I sat in this row. Some of you remember that. Okay. Who's to say that a year from now, maybe our next worship pastor isn't sitting in this row or the next kids pastor for whenever isn't sitting over in that row or the next worship leader of the church down the road isn't sitting over in that section in those rows over there because we don't know who there may be people are sitting in these seats now a year from now months from now weeks from now and God has something big planned for them And we have to make sure that we let them have that experience without our hearts being hardened. And they may be a guest. Like I said, they may be somebody that, you know, I didn't grow up starting in this church. We came, we didn't come here until I was like about six years old. Church, can we, or we must not be afraid to move our feet and lose our seats. We, individuals, people of this church, as Christians, we must not be afraid to move our feet and lose our seats because there may be something bigger that God has planned out of that. This morning, I wanted to look at, be on the outside of the box, looking in. I marked off the pews because I wanted the shock factor. I wanted people to say, what is going on? Why are these pews marked off? I can't sit in my seat that I usually sit in. I wanted that to happen for a reason. I'm a firm believer that there is great things in store for what we have going on here at Evangel Heights. And you know what? I'm glad that everybody here in these seats gets to be a part of that.
this morning and in the future. And I'm even more glad that there will be people in these seats that also get to come aboard with what we are having and what we are doing here at Evangel Heights. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for our time this morning, Lord. Lord, we ask that you uh, just always be a constant reminder to us and always just have us check our hearts, Lord. Make sure they are not being hardened to what is going on here at Evangel Heights. Let us not be afraid to move our feet and lose our seats, Lord. We know you have plans for us, plans to prosper. We know you have plans for this church, plans to prosper, to grow, to bring people in from the community, to lead those people to salvation, to lead those people to becoming disciples of Christ and grow in their faith. Lord, I just pray a special blessing over everybody this morning as they uh, start their week, as they continue doing what they are doing and their jobs are at their, at their homes, Lord. Lord, I just pray a special blessing as everybody leaves this morning. We thank you for, for just your awesome, your awesomeness, your powerfulness, your loving. You are a good God. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being with us this morning at Evangel Heights, and we hope to see you next week.